you're what we used to call it Cold Stone Fairyland ice cream. It's like this mythical ice cream that's not on the menu, but you only know it if you're like a like a super awesome customer. And it's cake batter ice cream with sprinkles and everything colorful and sweet that's on the table all mixed in together on a brownie topped with fudge. And that was like the greatest compliment I think I've ever received. Yeah, and you're probably like, can we please go to Cold Stone now? Because I have to try this Fairyland ice cream. <laughs> yeah. This is the final call for The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 372. Rio de Janeiro was once the capital of Portugal, making it the only European capital outside of Europe. And it all happened because of one angry little Frenchman. When I was in middle school, I wasn't doing anything cool like road schooling like today's guest. So I had to be cool in middle school the old-fashioned way. And in order to be cool in middle school, you needed two things. A sweet trapper keeper and an L.L. Bean book bag. Now, unfortunately for me, my mom was not the type to spend a lot of money. So in sixth grade, she bought me like this knockoff trapper keeper. So I was only halfway cool. And she would never buy me an L.L. Bean book bag. That is until eighth grade. It took me that long to wear down to get me an L.L. Bean book bag. And even at that point, she didn't get me the one with my initials, you know, embossed in it like all the cool kids. It was some like mountaineering L.L. Bean book bag. I'm sure she got a crazy good deal on it. Had places for like a carabiner. I was only going to eighth grade. But I loved that L.L. Bean book bag and I used it all the way through my whole high school years, even up into college. Of course, I'm no longer using that L.L. Bean book bag because I found something even better, my Tortuga backpack. I no longer need a book bag to go to school, but I do need a bag to travel around the world now that the world is my classroom. And the coolest one you can travel with and the best one you can travel with is your Tortuga backpack. So if you want to check them out, you can go to tortugabackpacks.com, use that promo code EPOP, and that'll get you 10% off your entire order and it'll make you feel cool. Trapper Keepers sold separately. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who is a singer-songwriter who just dropped their first album, who introduced me to the term road schooling, and who is a certified laughter yoga leader, Kelsey Henry from PositivelyDelighted.com. Kelsey, thanks for joining me, and welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And you are one of the happiest people I know. As we're doing this, it's over Skype. It's on video. You've got this huge smile. So, all right, where's all that energy and positivity and and good-naturedness? Where does that come from? Because every time I chat with you, whether it's in person or we're doing it here over Skype, I'm just like, all right, this is someone who matches and possibly exceeds my uh, energy levels here. 
I love it. Well, I mean, the laughter has a big part of that. I am recently certified. So, I mean, that's definitely, I've been laughing almost every day if possible. And that has a huge, huge part of that. But I mean, honestly, like one part it's been cultivated and two, I've had a lot of dental work. So, I mean, I have to show the smile off as much as possible. So that's you got to get your money's worth at this point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We spent a lot of money on the smile. I like to use it as much as possible. (laughs) So this laughter yoga, certification. When you told me you got that, I, I had never heard of it. So you've now introduced me to two things. One, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know road going when we first met in person. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Now, laughter yoga had never heard about it. Wh- All right. Give us like, what does a laughter yoga instructor do? What's a laughter yoga class look like? Okay. So, well, I guess uh, last year I was doing a lot of studying on just like personal growth and happiness. And I mean, I think one of the best ways to become a happier person is to study it. And so I found this book called Laugh Your Way to Happiness, and it introduced me to the idea of laughter yoga, which I had never heard about before. And I it just kind of came up this year that I thought about it again. And then I saw there was a certification class happening just like two and a half hours away from where I live. And so I just drove up to Oklahoma, got certified in this thing that I, I honestly hadn't really done much research about. I knew that laughter yoga was it's not necessarily like doing downward facing dog while laughing. That actually sounds really difficult. So really you're just la- doing laughter exercises and you're doing like yoga breathing techniques at the same time. So, yeah. And so all right, so then what is the purpose of it? Is it to re- like cuz I think yoga and I think and I've done yoga twice in my life. So, yeah, take this with a great talk. But like relaxing really mellow, really chill. And then I think laughter, I think gregarious, like fun, you know, joyous type emotions. Is there, is it one? Is it both? Is it a mixture? It's all like laughter yoga is all about silliness and bringing out creativity. And what I love so much about it is that my whole website for Positively Delighted, my tagline is like create a life of delight, laughter and fun. And I can't think of any better way to put more delight, laughter, and fun in your life than laughter yoga. I mean, that's the name of it sounds like fun. So it's all just different exercises that make you just feel silly and it lets your guard down and it improves your mood. And also one of the health benefits is that when we are breathing, there's a lot of stale air still in our lungs. And especially if we're stressed, we take really shallow breaths. And so there's a lot of air that we don't actually get out of our lungs and it just stays there and becomes stale. And when you're laughing, you're actually exhaling. So if you're laughing for a prolonged period of time, you're getting all that stale air out and you're just re-energizing your blood cells by just pumping all this new oxygen into your body. And it's energizing. So it's a really healthy way to improve your mood. And how can you be sad or mad or angry or any other negative emotion if you're laughing? Yeah, that would seem to be quite difficult. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever <laughs> done it because that, that yeah, inherently there kind of is a dichotomy there, right? Between, hey, I'm feeling this emotion that is a negative one. Hey, but wait a second, I'm being goofy. I'm laughing. So would you recommend people like, go to laughter yoga. Is it something that people do every day? Is it, do you, do they bring in laughter yoga instructors for, you know, corporate events and it's a one-off? Like what is, how does it work for (laughs) clients who come to laughter yoga or or customers or whatever you want to call them? Yeah. All of the above. I mean, it was started in 1995 by a doctor in India 
And so in India, they practice laughter every day. It's a daily practice. And they recommend that you get at least 15 minutes of pure laughter a day because the whole point of laughter yoga is that you don't want to leave your laughter to chance. Because like if I crack a joke right now, you might laugh for like three to four seconds, maybe longer if it's really funny. But laughter yoga is laughter that's not based on humor, comedy, or jokes. And when you laugh for just a few seconds, you don't get that prolonged laughter. So, I mean, when is the last time you laughed for 15 minutes straight, Trav? Like, that's uh, yeah, pretty intense. That's a... Yes, probably not. I mean, 15 minutes straight, probably never. I would say, too, that seems like a pretty good ab workout, right? Oh, yeah. It's like an internal, like, massaging of your innards, you know? <laughs> All right, so I don't have to do, like, my T25 ab program anymore. All I have to do, go to one session of laughter yoga with you, Kelsey, once a day, and then I'm good to go. I mean, I would like to think that, but I, I you know, I, I do my workouts as well whenever I can, but... I mean, I, I will say that when I did my certification, it was like two straight days of laughter yoga. I had to have 14 practice hours within two days to get the certification. And my lungs like could feel the workout. I felt like I had just run a marathon because my lungs were not used to being used that much. <laughs> Was it was it different than you thought going in? Because you said you didn't really know. I mean, you had heard the term yeah. and then you didn't do much research. You thought, all right, I'm just going to go for this when we get the certification. What were the differences <laughs> between what you thought would happen versus what was actually reality? Um, okay, the biggest thing that I was surprised about was that we played a ton of group games. And this was like, if you had asked me before going into this like workshop, what was one of the things I hated most in the world? And it was group games like really I, I you don't, don't seem like a person who would hate group games no for real that like when we were doing our like location indie meetup in denver and we did like the name game where we had to do like a dance and do our name i was so afraid of what were you gonna say when you're like okay everybody get in a circle like my anxiety like started to rise I'm like oh my gosh what are they gonna make us do are they gonna make us go around and like remember everyone's names because these just did they just make you can feel i'm just really stressed but with um, with laughter yoga, there's no talking unless you're talking in like gibberish. So there's nothing that you can be embarrassed about. And that's what usually I'm worried about because I've had experiences like I took a lot of acting classes as a kid. And that was one of the ways that we tried to like compensate for me being homeschooled on the road was like putting me into acting classes so that I could meet other kids. But there's so much pressure and they make you do those like zip zap zop games or like different things where you have to memorize stuff and like having to memorize people's names like immediately and like play these games just makes my, uh, just would make me super nervous. So is it the group? All right. So with the group games, is it that they're lame group games? Like you're no, just like, all right, this is silly. Or is it that you, you, yeah, you're, you're nervous that you're going to mess up or you're going to get yeah, the wrong. That's for what it is. Cause I, I think I did that before, like in college, I think it was like freshman orientation. We played this game and we had to like, I don't know what we were doing, something where you had to remember people's names, but you had to not say it because the like other people had to remember names. But there was this one part where I don't know, I don't remember what the girl's name was, but I was of I course, was like, Of course you don't her. remember her her name. Yeah, right? I, I mean know. that's natural. <laughs> you you're not good at remembering names, apparently. Apparently not. But we were like playing this game and I don't know. I think that I got out because obviously I wasn't very good at it. And this girl was still going. And I think I like yelled out like, go Karen or something. And they all just like stop and look at me because I just ruined the whole game. I'm like, no. <laughs> so, all right. That seems interesting to me because 
you also are a performer and a musician and you've got your own album out. And when we had our meetup in Denver, you were kind enough to, in like one of our break sessions, come up and perform for everyone and did two kick and uh, kick butt songs. So I would think that naturally you'd be someone who's like, all right, I'm not, I'm not afraid to be in front of people or I'm not afraid to put myself out there and and be the, uh, you know, either the center of attention or or the focus at this point, because obviously when you're at a con, when you're doing your own concert, like people are watching you because it's your music. So why? Okay. So I'm just wondering what, what the difference is. Is it because when you're doing your music, you're in the zone and you know what you're doing or you're just, you're so happy to be doing it. It kind of overtakes or, or overcomes that fear. I think part of it, one, I, I perform, I've performed a lot, so I'm used to that. So maybe there's that I'm a lot more comfortable with performing my own songs than maybe like talking about them in between. So maybe there's that. But then also, I think that the main thing is just like, it takes me back to those childhood emotions, you know, of like, things that made you really nervous as a child will probably make you a little nervous as an adult. Gotcha. Like there are these so. deep seated things that mm-hmm. even even if your personality otherwise, like, hey, I'll yeah. be in front of people and do laughter yoga, I'll be in front of people yeah. and play for people. But there's something that's kind of superseding that because you're like, oh, man, I I, I yelled, hey, Karen, and it wasn't Karen. And <laughs> it just sticks with me. OK, speaking yeah, speaking probably. of your your music, um, because that's a <laughs> huge part of what you do. Where has that has that been something that you've always enjoyed when it comes to to creating music? And do you think that that came out of the fact that you were homeschooled and road schooled and maybe had more time or more flexibility to really engage in that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I music has always been a big part of my life. I remember writing my like writing songs as like a toddler. And they would just be like silly songs. I didn't actually learn to play guitar until we were on the road later. But I actually found like a song that I wrote when I was six years old. I wrote it for my brother. I think it's called the um, You Should Be Happy Now song, something like that. (laughs) And I wrote it for my brother because he was sick and we were driving back to take care of him because he was in school and we were coming back from Arkansas where we were living at the time. And I think it it didn't even rhyme. I mean, I, I guess it wasn't like super honed in my skills at six but it was something like you should be happy now just stop feeling bad and you'll feel better <laughs> so so that's not going to be on the second album spoiler no, alert. Okay, no i don't right. so i don't know i mean i could reuse those lines yeah you can flush it, flush it out a little bit flush it out a little bit yeah make it rhyme we'll see um but yeah i do i i think that that is really funny that that one was about happiness because i didn't actually think of myself as like a super happy child like I thought that I was you know of average happiness but I wasn't like a little like energizer bunny of of positivity or anything especially when we first hit the road and I learned to play guitar when I was about 13 there was a really awesome couple that lived at our RV park and my mom was like hey you're gonna learn how to play guitar from this couple I wasn't super into it you know I think I was just like 13 and moody and I just didn't want to do anything and I, I was like, I already have to teach myself school. Now you're going to make me go learn an instrument. Like, what else are you going to make me do? <laughs> so for you, it was just like, yeah, another thing that you had to cross off. I'm going to go to this this lesson and whatever. But did you pick up pretty quickly on like in as far as liking it? Were you like, all right, this is way better than I thought? 
I mean, at first, no, because, you know, like you're not when you're first starting something, you're not instantly good at it. So it took me about a year of just kind of playing guitar to actually get my rhythm. I could do the chords, but the rhythm actually came like a little bit later once I kind of had more time to play around with it. But my teacher basically was like, here are the songs to play Imagine. Now go spread your wings, young butterfly. So that was kind of his philosophy on teaching guitar, which was pretty awesome. And so we did that and we just kind of jammed a lot with those chords because there's actually a lot of chords I'd imagine. So it's a pretty good starting point. And I think that what it really came down to was that songwriting became my way of navigating those teenage emotions as we were living on the road. Cause I had no privacy at all. Cause we were living in an RV full time. I was with my parents and I didn't even have a bed for the first like six months I slept on the couch in the living room. And then when I was 13, my mom built me like a bed platform in the back. They sacrificed their recliners. And then she made me a curtain. And I don't know if any 13 year old has ever been so grateful in their life. I know it wasn't soundproof, but at least like I had some privacy. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I mean, so, all right, let's get into this because we've touched on it a little (laughs) bit of of road scoring. You said like when I've on the road, before we left on the road and people were probably thinking like, all right, what, what does she mean? So you were road schooled. Start with the timeline of what that looked like. And then I want to dive into what it actually means and what the experience was actually like for you. Yeah. So basically my dad was always working And he was usually working in another state and just the way his job would go. I mean, we were in Texas and he'd be working every week in California and he would just fly back on the weekends. And so my brothers are 10 and 12 years older and my dad missed a lot of their childhood. And so when I was finishing up elementary school and my brothers were off in college, my parents decided we don't want to do this anymore. We want to be together. And so They just kind of told me the plan. I didn't really have a whole lot of say in it, but they're like, all right, so we're going to sell our house, sell all of our possessions, and you're going to, we're going to live in an RV and you're going to sleep on a couch and be homeschooled. And I didn't really have another choice. So I just kind of had to go along with it. I I guess at that point you were too young, right? Like if it was at the end of elementary school, I mean, you could have said, I "I don't want to. Yeah. But what, but yeah, what was the alternative? What did they give any thought? Or do you know, have you asked them, like, did you, did they give any thought to what it would be like for you or, or, and were there other options like that they considered and they thought maybe it's not like, Hey, she could live with a relative. She could go to normal school because they, I'm guessing they probably had some thought into it. If, if yeah. they had gone through with your brothers, a, a more normal life where they had gone to school, you know, in one place. Yeah, absolutely. And we did think about, I mean, looking back, I know that they did. I think I was just more of the mindset where I was just like, I was going to be on the honor roll, guys. Like, I was going to go to middle school. Even though I, in my, like, I knew that I didn't actually want to go to middle school. It didn't really seem all that great. I went on the tour of the school and I was just not about it. So I was kind of in between. I They couldn't really please me either way. So I didn't really know any better. Um, but we did talk about, maybe living in like a condo on the beach in San Diego, because that's where we were planning to move to. Uh, We weren't going to buy a house because it was just so expensive. This was in 2005. And I mean, the housing market ended up collapsing. So it's really good that we didn't. And we I think my dad wanted the condo on the beach. And my mom wanted an RV. So they ended up compromising. 
And I mean, we did think about that, like if I would just go to public school in California, but this was supposed to be temporary. We were only supposed to be gone for two years and we were actually gone six. My parents were even traveling two more years after they dropped me off at college. So, I mean, it was just kind of ev- ever evolving. But my my brother and his new wife at the time, um, they had just gotten married and they actually offered for me to live with them. And I just couldn't stand the thought of being away from my parents. I mean, the whole reason why we were doing it was so I could spend time with my dad and my mom and I could be there with him and we could be together. So I I was like, nope, all right, I'm going to go along with this plan, whatever it is. And it ended up being a pretty interesting ride. So you rode <laughs> school then from the end of elementary school all the way through middle and high school. And, and then mm-hmm. until you got to college, you then took yeah. a, a little bit more of a traditional route there. So during those years, was it constantly on the road or did you have the RV and you were set down in a campground for, I, I don't know, like what would be the longest period of time that you were in one place? Well, it's hard to say because we were technically stationary RVers. So that's usually where you live in an RV, but you're in one place and you don't move very much. So we had a fifth wheel, which is a pretty big RV. So we had a big truck and trailer and then we had another car. So having a second car makes it pretty difficult to move a lot. So we were in San Diego for six months and oh my gosh, travel. Like we were super spoiled. We were at this amazing campground called Camp Campland on the Bay. It was we had our own private beach in San Diego. There were kid activities. There was an arcade. There was karaoke. I mean, I got my start in the music industry singing Redneck Woman at karaoke when I was twelve. There you go. Like, I can't. Ca- what is it? Campground on the Bay. Campland on the Bay. Campland on the Bay is where it all started for Kelsey Henry. There you yeah, go. It all started. <laughs> it was. It's. It's an amazing RV park. It's like one of my favorite places in the whole world. And now they have. They have like an ice cream shop right on their private beach. Like you just can't get better than that. <laughs> all right. So as a, so you were like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm going to go with mom and dad. And your first experience was like, whoa. So mm-hmm. this is what mom and dad meant. All right, life is pretty good right now. Kind of. I mean, I was 12. So I mean, if I could talk to 12 year old Kelsey right now, I'd be like, kid, you're living the life. Um, But part of it was I was really struggling with my own personal issues because I actually have fake teeth. So one of the things that was really bothering me around that time was that I didn't have. So it's the two teeth next to my front teeth. Okay. I think it's the incisors. Gotcha. And I just was born without the adult teeth. So at that time, I didn't have any. And so whenever I would open my mouth, it would be really distracting. You know, like you don't expect like a 12-year-old kid to be missing teeth at this point. Right. So I never wanted to open my mouth. I never wanted to talk. So being homeschooled was kind of a blessing in a way because I didn't have to go through school. I'd gone through all of sixth grade without teeth there. And no one ever made fun of me, but I... I was self-conscious about it. I didn't like to look in the mirror. I didn't like to open my mouth. I didn't want anyone to take photos of me. I just didn't, I wanted to get through this period of my life before I could get fake teeth when I got braces. And I just wanted to just kind of like get through until then. So even though we're living in this amazing RV park, I was trying to make the best of it. But every time I would like be happy, I would catch myself and be like, no, 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 don't show that. Yeah, and so. as a middle schooler, I mean, of course, and, and you said that's pretty neat that, uh, especially in sixth grade, the kids weren't 
like mean to you about it, but you kind of know it's going to happen or there's going to be someone who is going Mm -hmm. to be, and and you're, and you're, and you're not going to be able to hide it, something like that forever. And so you were probably just saying like, when is this other shoe going to drop? Like when is going to be the time where something happens and I'm just completely embarrassed? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I I went through my first dental surgery for this because I mean, it's taken over 10 years to get dental implants. Like my dental implant journey, like you would not think that something so simple as missing teeth would just take so much time and cost so much money. I mean, my smile costs as much as my college education. And it why? Crazy to why think did about. it take so like what? To, yeah, what was the reasoning behind something like that taking so long? Uh, well, my first surgery was well, first off, I found out when I was about eight years old that I w- didn't have these teeth. So as an eight-year-old child, I f- I knew that this was coming for me. So I didn't exactly understand what that meant. But I remember like being in the fifth grade is when I had my first dental surgery. And I had something else happen where I think I had some other teeth that weren't coming down. So they had to like dig up my roots in my gums. And so my first surgery, I mean, I, I had like a retainer, I had all this stuff going on. I, I, it was like an actual surgery. And so when I had my surgery with the same doctor, when I was like 21, I could still feel those emotions of like being like nine or 10 being in that chair. And it's like, you talk about those childhood experiences, like they really stay with you. Um, and I feel bad for that doctor because like he was just trying to help me and he's got all these like negative associations with him. <laughs> right, right, but, right. So, so I've, I've gone back and I'm like, we went over there the other day and I was like, I just want you to know that I really appreciate you because I just want yeah. you to know. <laughs> it's been 12 years of or 10 oh. years of a journey, but hey, th- thanks for finally, you know, coming yeah. through on the other side. And we had to wait because like when you're a child, you can't have those implants because your mouth is still growing. So they want you to be set. And so I had like five dentists that all worked together to make my smile. My my smile is crafted. So I use it all the time. It is a work of art put together by dentist masters. Right. You know, like I had two orthodontists in two different states because we were on the road. So I had to pay for two. Well, my parents had to pay for two different sets of braces. I had a cosmetic surgeon. I had an actual surgeon and I had a children's dentist. Yeah, that's a lot of work and a lot of time that goes into making a smile. And like you said, something that would seemingly be fairly easy. Okay, you're missing two teeth. All right, we can put those in. And I mean, I'm I'm obviously very naive to that because I haven't had to have anything like that. But happened. But ten years later, you're sitting there saying like, "We we finally made it." Now, how did you navigate that? Because you mentioned, "Hey, in the beginning, I I was just scared to smile," and so. But it did. But you, there was a lot of years in between there, right? Of, oh yeah. Of feeling that way, and then getting this perfectly crafted smile that you have now, <laughs> you know, being completed at twenty one. So where was the shift, or was there a shift between you saying, "All right, I feel this way." Okay, doesn't matter now, though. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with it. Well, it definitely was a journey. I mean, every few weeks, I would get a new dental appliance. Every few years. It would, I mean, it really just changed all the time. I mean, I, my first personal growth really started to shift. Like when I was 12, we were on the road and then we moved to LA. So we moved from this amazing like park in San Diego up to LA. And I mean, I just thought all RV parks were going to be awesome. And so we moved to this other one and it was a really lovely park, but there were no activities. Kids actually weren't super welcome there. 
because then if you have kids living there full time and going to public school, then the RV park would have to pay like education taxes. So they didn't want kids there. If you were homeschooled, it would be okay. Uh, so there weren't actually that many kids around and we're just at this park and it's actually not as exciting. RV life is kind of settling in a little bit. And my mom brought home this movie one day and I don't know if you've heard of the movie, The Secret, but I, I haven't, I don't know. It seems like a movie I should have, but it also <laughs> seems like a movie that every movie is named, right? Like the, <laughs> yeah. and then <laughs> one word and you're like, okay, I don't know what I've watched, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was it was on Oprah, so my mom brought it home, and it was all about the law of attraction and positive thinking and kind of, like, like being in control of your thoughts. And I watched this at, like, 13, 12, 13, and it completely changed my life. And I am so grateful that I got to see this. And the movie, it's, it's kind of funny. It's a little bit cheesy in some ways, uh, but it's got all of these amazing motivational speakers and teachers and authors and doctors and spiritual leaders all in here talking about like how to master your mindset. And so like at 13, I mean, my first thought was I'm going to manifest some teeth and they're just going to appear and it's going to be great. And then I realized like, OK, it doesn't really work that way. But I in in other ways, like I'm just like, OK, I know what I want. I want teeth. And so I focused on that and I focused on doing the work internally of being a more positive person. And, you know, within that year, I got braces. And when I got braces, I could get my first fake teeth. And they were really, really tiny because I had really little holes. And so they had to like shave them down. But it was still like, it was, I mean, no one's going to notice. It's covered. The braces are on. So I was one of the happiest kids to get braces. I was going to say, normally kids like, oh my gosh, I don't want braces. Like I'm going to stand out. Everyone's going to make fun of me for braces. You're sitting there saying, this is the best, this is the best day of my life. Like braces, <laughs> yeah. braces are great. I, I was the same way with my knee surgery. I hobbled around for a year and a half with a blown out knee. When I got on the operating table, I was like, doctor, I am the happiest human to be on an operating table right now. Like, I don't care what the rehab is or anything like that. Like, <laughs> I couldn't stop smiling. Like, they finally put me under. They're probably like, dude, we got to get this guy under. Um, and, but I just remember sitting there thinking, like, no, no, not no one else in the world has gone through this. But usually something happens. You get your surgery. You're bummed. But if you have to live with it for an extended period of time, you now see this as like a super shining light that's like, oh my gosh, finally, I'm, I'm saved. You know, everything's mm -hmm. okay again. Yeah, it's all in perspective. It's so funny how that works. And I mean, over the years, like I, I tried to lean more into this and I, I wanted to know everything I could about happiness and how to cultivate it. And I learned that there were these, these teachers out there that were, you know, experts in happiness and they weren't necessarily happy before. And I felt like that. I'm like, I don't feel happy, but I can be. And I was so excited that there, there was this hope now. And so I started to work on myself and my self-esteem and I documented all of this, like through my music and my music was how I processed all of my emotions and it it was funny because I, I would work on this and then every time I would go to the dentist and they would take my teeth out, Travis, like they would like it was like I, it was like they took my progress every time. And I would have to look and I remember like we just went into my orthodontist office the other day. We were like given all my dentist CDs because we're like, hey, look, it's your work on the cover. And they always thought they thought that was pretty funny. So I, I like actually like looked over and I saw like the station where you brush your teeth before you go work with the dentist. And I remember every time they would take my teeth out 
and they would adjust it and they would like make the space bigger. And I would have to go wash my teeth and I would have, I would feel that. And I would feel like there was this part of me missing and I would just be right back there and just like have to look at myself every time and be like, and it was so hard to just like look at myself and say, like, I know you are beautiful, but it, I, this, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like you. And that, that was so hard to know, like, I feel good about myself, but right now I don't. And yeah. to recognize that. And it was like a reality. It was almost like, hey, you weren't thinking about the teeth then because you didn't have to, like when you had them in. And now all of a sudden they take them out and you're like, oh my gosh, is this is this fake almost of what I'm feeling? Like, are the emotions I'm feeling and the comfortableness and the confidence that is starting to come up in me and the happiness that I'm cultivating? And one, I, I don't want to say little thing because I don't want it to sound little because yeah, yeah. it wasn't to you, but one thing now takes all that away and you're like i don't that's crazy that one thing can have that much control over your life even though as like a super wise 13 14 15 year old you're like actually actively trying to cultivate this stuff where like the only movie i was watching at 13 was like ferris bueller's day off and (laughs) you know and here you are like oh my gosh i watched this great movie i'm gonna like take all these wise steps to become better but wait a second is it just tied to the fact that I have teeth or am I actually doing the hard work? And and I think now, you know, you were doing the hard work, you were laying the groundwork, but in those moments you were like, Hey, maybe it was just the teeth. Maybe that's the only reason I feel better. And someone yeah. could take that away from me. Yeah. And, and, and it was really scary. And I, and there were a lot of emotions that were around that. Cause part of me was thinking like, you know, like, <laughs> kind of like you brat, like you have so much to be grateful for. Like, why are you being upset over this? It's so superficial. Um, people in the world are suffering from much greater things, you know, than this. But I mean, if, if you have a personal struggle inside, you know, you can't deny yourself that struggle because if you don't work through it, then you'll never overcome it. Yeah. What was the breaking point or, or was there a breaking point for you then where you said, all right, I am putting in this hard work and like, was there ever a time that you went in and you had to take out the teeth and then get it done and that, but you didn't feel that, that like emptiness immediately. Like, like obviously you've worked past it at this point. So was there a thing that you could point to where you said, all right, now the confidence is in myself, not just this one part of me. Well, I think interestingly enough, I think that that kind of happened when I had my final surgery. So I was really worried about it because I was in college. I had worked so hard to create this life around me where I was respected and I had, you know, I had good grades and I had great friends and I had a great job on campus and my professors, you know, thought highly of me. And I had a boyfriend at the time and I had all these people who cared about me and they had never seen that side of me before, ever. I had had a, a Maryland bridge in, which is a special type of appliance where the teeth are like glued to the back of the other ones. And so you couldn't tell. No one usually knew. And so I was going to have to have the teeth taken out. And then I was going to have to continue going through school. And then I was going to have to have the dental surgery. And then there'd be a period of a few weeks where I could not have the teeth in. And then I couldn't have the crowns put in yet. So I would just have, since I didn't have the teeth there, we don't really think about it, but the gums cave in because there's no roots. 
So they had to do a gum grafting and then implant posts up in there. So they had to put in the gums and like drill up in there as well. So it was pretty uh, involved. Yeah, I'm like, my spine is tingling hearing that. Because that <laughs> yeah, I was can- under, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but cannot be fun. Cannot yeah, be fun. Yeah, no, it was not fun. Um, but I was so worried. Like, I was scared of the pain, obviously. Like, I really don't like needles or blood. But I, I was more concerned about these people and these relationships that I've built up. How are they going to feel about me once they see this? Because, you know, it takes back to, like, what you were saying, that reality check of, I've built up these relationships and is this one thing like seeing me in this way, will they be able to forget it? Are they going to think of me differently? And it was really scary. But at the same time, like I needed to get this done. Once I got this done, I would never have to worry about it again. And I've been waiting for this my whole life, but I kept putting it off because I could have had it at 18, but I was 21 when I had it. And I had the surgery and no one thought different, differently of me. No one judged me. No one thought it was strange. I mean, I looked like a chipmunk for a couple weeks. So my friends just, you know, we all just kind of laughed at it. Like my boyfriend at the time made me a CD of like pain themed songs and like had Alvin and the chipmunks on the cover. It was, and then we all just had a good time and laughed at it. My friends came and brought me smoothies, you know, like they were all just super supportive because they cared about me. Yeah. I, I think that's a crazy important lesson with, with that is like, if you are surrounding yourself with the right people, not only are they not going to care, but they're going to be, they're going to go the exact opposite way and, and, and they're going to be supportive of you. Maybe it helps them have some confidence because everyone is struggling with something, right? Everyone has, whether it be a secret or just be something that you're like, oh, I didn't know you cared so much about that. I've never, you've never talked to me about it. I've never even noticed it about you, but inside they're like, oh, I can't believe this, this, and this, or I don't like this about myself. And seeing you go through it, they could say, hey, there's someone who's, stronger than me maybe you know she like people now people know and she doesn't seem she seems like she's still the same person she's letting it roll off or they didn't know that it's taken you seven years to get to that point or eight years <laughs> yeah. to get to that point but that strength can give them strength then which is a pretty neat concept and, and kind of even goes back to everything that you do and and dovetails with each other like hey music my music's here to to be a positive influence to help you feel good i'm doing laughter yoga to help you feel good to get out of those negative feelings and then obviously telling your story about that to say, hey, I went through something too. There's people who are going through worse. I get that, but this is a struggle. And here's how I came out on the other side. And maybe that can be a a light to someone as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why like when someone compliments my positivity, I mean or my happiness, like like you did at the beginning of this episode, that is of the highest importance and respect for me. And I, I value that so much because that is something that I worked so hard to get. And even in some of my darkest times, like I've had friends that say that they thought I was such a positive influence. And I was shocked. I'm like, really? Like you like I didn't know that people could see it. And I it was always something that I I, I guess part of me is like, I could be more positive. I could be better. You know, like I need to be the best I can be. And you put that like weight on yourself and you don't realize that like it's coming across. And I had a friend that that told me this the other day and I just thought it was the coolest thing. Um, I asked her before because I after I had kind of cultivated all of this, I, I, I kind of forgot a lot of that. And I fell into a really kind of dark period right after college when I was trying to figure out how to get back to my road schooled self because I felt really lost. And in the midst of that, I, I made this new friend and I, I asked her, I said, well, you, you know, you were still friends with me during that period. That's when we met. 
was I always positive even through that? And she said, well, the way I would describe you, I would say you were like, you were like cake batter ice cream with some sprinkles on top. And that's how you've always been. But now that you've really just like honed into who you are, you're what we used to call it Cold Stone fairy, Fairyland ice cream. It's like this mythical ice cream that's not on the menu, but you only know it if you're like a like a super awesome customer and it's cake batter ice cream with sprinkles and everything colorful and sweet that's on the table all mixed in together on a brownie topped with fudge. And that was like the greatest compliment I think I've ever received. Yeah, and you're probably like, can we please go to Cold Stone now? Because I have to try this Fairyland ice cream, right? Like, I, I mean, if I'm Fairyland ice cream, I have to go see it for myself. Do, do you think that the, the music played a part in that for you? Like you were saying, I, I was trying to find myself. I, you know, I didn't, I wanted to get back to that that kind of feeling I had when I was road schooled and that person that I was there. And I think a lot of people, myself included, you go through that where I, I remember thinking like, I loved who I was in high school. And now some of this is rose colored glasses, right? Because you're of yeah. course remembering <laughs> the good parts and your positive traits. And there's probably like a lot of negative traits that I'm forgetting, but it, it seems so carefree. And so just positive and like life is good. You know, obviously you don't have a ton of responsibilities. Then you start to crest into adulthood and you think, why can't I be so carefree? Like, why can't I just let things roll off me? And I know I went through that period for a while and, and still at times do. I'm like, am I too, like, I don't want to say normal, but am I too much of like a, a realist? Like, can I be, and, and some people might look at here, this, and be like, what is he talking about? No way. But you know what, am I just, am I too much of a realist and not as much of a dreamer anymore? Or, or yeah. do I worry about stuff too much? Can I be as carefree as I am before? Mm -hmm. What do you think was able to get you back to that? Was it just getting out on the road yourself and traveling? Was it the music? I will say music has always played a huge part in my life. And I mean, as you were saying that, like one of my songs on my latest album, like just really hit home, uh, actually two songs, two songs. So first off, uh, when I got out of college, I got the, I mean, I, I was so determined that to, to kind of compensate for being road schooled, I had taught myself all through middle school and high school. I did all self-taught curriculum and a, a lot of our family did not approve. And, you know, even my brothers, they went through the same school system their entire life. They pretty much lived in the same house and they were so worried that I was going to be a weird homeschooled kid. They were so deeply concerned for me. And I mean, I, I like to think that's out of love, you know, but they're my brothers. So, you know, they're going to tease me. So I wasn't really sure how much to take. Like, how are, are they teasing me or are they actually deeply concerned? And so when I got into college, I was like, this is my chance to prove myself and I'm going to get the best grades I can show everyone that I am smart. You know, I taught myself. I taught myself good <laughs> in <laughs> high school. <laughs> I learned. I learned good. I learned good. I learned good. And I got into school and I got um, really involved. I started student organizations and I was like, I'm just going to be this like super overachiever and I am just always going to be doing stuff and I'm going to get a great job after school. And I got like the best possible job I could get. And I was miserable, like within the first week. I'm like, I've made a huge mistake. What have I done with my life? And the job was awesome. Like it was a super cool job, but I was just sitting there and I was kind of looking around and the people that I was working with. Like they were great, but it they weren't like me. And they, 
I don't know, they, they wanted to be in this job and they wanted to build careers and get promoted and all this stuff. And they were so focused on, you know, I don't know, like going to work and, and, and just like this lifestyle and building it. And I was already thinking of ways to get out and I felt so trapped and I had, I started writing this song called free. And at first it was like, Every day I go to work, try to pay my dues, climb the ladder and sing the corporate blues. And at first it was like this really depressing song. <laughs> right. And You're like, uh oh, like, what's the I ending want here? Freedom. Yeah, I'm like, I want freedom. And then I, I kind of thought like one day I was like, this song is total crap. I don't like it. it like, and usually if a song is bad, I just stop and I, I don't go back to it. I'm like, this is this thought is not happening. I'm going to write a better song. I only try to write good songs. <laughs> And I I actually did a rewrite on it, which I don't do very often. And I rewrote it and I thought about, okay, well, I'm not happy. And this song is about what I don't want. But what if I just kind of flipped it on its head and write about what I did want? And free could be kind of a beacon of hope instead of, you know, like this ball and chain that I'm seeing it as. And I looked at it and I'm like, okay, well, every day I go to work and try to pay my dues, climb the ladder and sing the corporate blues. But while my peers are out making connections, I'm out looking for other directions because I've been hiding, but soon they'll see that this life was not meant for me. And just like really honing into that and thinking, okay, well, what do I want? Well, I want to be free. I want to be free to go where the wind blows and do what I want to do and have a say in my day and find a purpose to make the most of every minute and actually live in it. Most of all, I want to be free. And the whole thing of the song, it kind of comes in at the end where it says, like, I want to be free to be me because I didn't feel like myself. I feel like I was putting on this face to be this, like, really awesome employee and really great, you know, online merchandiser because that was my job. And I wanted to make all my clients happy. And I never went. I tried to not go on vacations because I wanted to be available and I, I just realized, like, this is not me. I am a weird, road-schooled kid at heart. And that's who I want to be. I don't want to be this person that's, like, climbing the corporate ladder. I want to be that person that's, like, traveling in their car and doing cool stuff and going to RV conferences and, I don't know, just being, like, a positive person. And if that's weird, then that's what I want to be. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's pretty neat that you were able to figure that out pretty quickly. But and and at the same time, I do think people figure it out. I think a lot of people probably have those inklings when they start a job or when they move into a different phase of life, maybe right away, but they suppress them because they just think, oh, this is this is just, you know, me getting used to it. I have to I have to get my feet wet. I have to get started, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they push it off. And then, you know, it manifests itself 10, 15 years later when they think, wait a second. No, I I really don't want to be doing this. And then, it, you know, it almost becomes harder to leave because you have these connections. Not not saying it can't because plenty of people have come on the podcast and said it has. So you decided, all right, I'm done. I want to be this weird road school kid. Your words. So I'm just, yeah, I'm repeating here. Um, you want to be this weird road school kid. So what does it look like now? I mean, because I know a little bit of your story. I mean, you're traveling around. You're making music. You launched an album. What... I mean, I don't. I hesitate to say a typical day, but what has your life looked like then since you decided to quit that regular job? Well, okay, so that takes me back to the second song that this made me think of. I mean, like you said, that did not just happen immediately. I was not just like 
peace out, guys. Like, I'm going to go, like, be a weird road school kid. You know, I I was afraid. I had built up this life. I had a serious relationship, and we had a specific path we were going down, and I had this job, and I had already applied to grad school, and so I was trying to do grad school, and I was trying to go to work, and I was trying to, you know, like, run a household, kind of, you know, like I had just, we moved into an apartment and I was, you know, all these new things. I was buying furniture. I felt like such an adult. It was this weird experience. And, did, and did so, you, you buy a curtain. You're like, all right, this is my side of the room. <laughs> I, I need a curtain. I need my own space. Uh, I don't need much. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think actually like, because I lived in an RV for so long, I think it gave me a little bit of a shopping problem when I got out into the real world. I'm like space. I have so much. I want to fill it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like, I can have a couch that's longer than 40 inches, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a bit of an extreme couponing phase for a while. So that was fun. But um, yeah. Anyways. So I, I, I decided I would quit my job because I couldn't do grad school and go to work at the same time and do both really well. And so I decided I would quit my job and I would do grad school full time. And I already had kind of a, I'd gotten into side hustles while I was still working. So I was like listening to podcasts like Smart Passive Income while I was working. And I'm like, you guys don't know, but I'm going to start a business you know, while I'm working. <laughs> but listen to this. And it was great. So I started an Amazon FBA business. So I was using my extreme couponing skills to find toys get them really cheap, flip them on the internet. And so I'd be at work, like I'm doing my work right now, but I just made like 300 bucks on Shopkins today. Like guys have no idea. <laughs> you were like a rogue. You feel like a rogue employee, like a spy, right? You're like, yeah. you're in there like, I'm doing work. And when you guys have downtime, all you're doing is, you know, going to the water cooler. I guess people don't do that anymore. They're probably <laughs> just scrolling on their phone through Instagram. You're like, I'm actually making money on the side. Yeah. And I was so, I was like so addicted to it. I'm like, I could do business stuff. And my boyfriend at the time had his own business. And so, well, I mean, I, I wanted to do my own thing. I I'd always like dabble. I mean, I'd been a performer since I was 14. I've been performing and making money and, you know, getting paid to do shows and stuff. But I was like, I could do like a business as well. And then I could do all these things. And so I quit my job and I had a little bit of income coming in from, from that business. And then I had a lot of savings. And I think my, it, it was a slow progression that after that happened, my life slowly just started to kind of fall apart. I was going to school, my relationship was falling apart, and I was just trying to keep everything together until I was done with school and just figure out what I was going to do next. And I ended up taking another corporate job. I was like, I will give this one more shot because, you know, you have those ideas like maybe I'm just, you know, people talk about like, oh, millennials are lazy. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to be lazy. Maybe I should try a different corporate job and like see if this is for me. And so I took a job working in an Amazon department for a company and helping run their Amazon store, which is all like skills I had built myself, which I thought was really funny. And so I worked in this job. And they offered me a great job after graduation and I could work part-time until then. And it's just a series of events within a matter of weeks, Trav. Like I, my job offer fell through. I graduated from grad school. My relationship fell apart and I had to move back home. And I was like seriously ill all in the matter of like a month. And some of those things like all in the same week. And I was just so devastated. And I mean, I didn't have like I was living at home. I was like, I just graduated from grad school. I have a master's in marketing. I'm 23. I had to move back home. 
and I have no job. And a week later, I started my business, like still getting over getting sick from this. I I started, I'm like, I'm going to run my own business. I'm going to start doing work on the side and I'm going to do, I'm going to like do, I'd already started learning podcast production skills. And so I just started with a bunch of different projects and I had a couple clients and I wrote this song called Broken. And this is my favorite song I've ever written. And it talks about what I went through during that time, but I knew that it wasn't just me that was involved in the story, you know, in my relationship, my, my partner was a big part of that, but I didn't want to write a song like you did this to me, like, or my job did this to me. I didn't want to write about you other weren't gonna, people. You weren't going to like Taylor Swift them. No, I didn't. I didn't want to, you know, I'm, I'm like, cause that's the thing with writing a song and there's a lot of internal pressure that once you write it, it's out there. And if I perform this song and you like it, then that, I mean, it could hurt someone. And I, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone with my music. I'm just trying to express and tell a story of what happened. And I mean, if someone breaks my heart, like, that's kind of, I feel like there should, you know, if you date a songwriter, there should be like some fine print there. Like, you will have songs written about you. Right, sign but, a disclosure, like when you first date, like, by the way, this could come yeah, back on an album. I'm just I saying. Mean, like, it doesn't even need to be a date. Like, I mean, I wrote a, a song about a guy from Lens Crafters. Like, I mean, you just, <laughs> when it strikes, you know, inspiration just happens. Any human you run in, yeah, you run into. It's, yeah. it's in like five years, you know, it'll be like implanted. Someone will know, like they'll sign an NDA. Just you look at them and it's like <laughs> through Google glasses. They're like, all right, this person is a songwriter. All right. She may use me in a song. Very cool. Oh, but so I, I wrote this song and I was like, okay, well, what do I know that I went through just in me? And so this song is about my perspective of what I had gone through. And the song starts out and it sounds like a typical, you know, love song or broken hearted song. And it says, I didn't mean to neglect you. And I'm so sorry that I didn't protect you. I told you it would be okay, but I lied. I pushed you away. I pushed you to the side. And then I shift it and it says, when I look in the mirror, I don't know who you are or what I did to push you this far is you were lost and didn't know where to go. And it was my job, my job to know and realizing like people can do things to you in your life, but you let them. And that's what broke my heart more than anything was looking at my life and being so disappointed in the person that I had become because I had such beautiful dreams for myself and my life and looking at where I was in that moment on like at my parents' house and realizing like I did this to myself, but I can get myself out. And that was kind of my beacon of hope that I am broken, but I can fix it. Being a songwriter is tough. You've got a lot of <laughs> emotions. Yeah, it really is. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're broken, but life is good. And then and then you're like, all right, so let's take us through that life is good. So you're like, <laughs> all right, broken, like all this stuff falls apart, but I could get myself out. And that brings us like coming up, we'll say to present day now. You've got these projects. So like, what does it look like for you? You're traveling. I know you've got, uh, like you're on the road a decent amount of time. Let Talk us through like what what it looks like now and kind of what you see it becoming. Yeah. So it's been about a year and a half 
which kind of blows my mind that it's been that long. I mean, it was a it was a long journey to get out of that. I'd say that last year was a lot about just healing. I was so empty inside. I had given everything I had to other people and I left nothing for myself. And I'd become a really bitter person. At least I felt like it. I mean, apparently my friends still saw me as a positive person, but I I, I feel like I was an emotional vampire. I like people would be like, oh, how's your day going? I'd be like, oh, great. How's your day going? And they're like, how's your day really going? And then three hours later, I'm like, how have I talked about myself this long? This needs to change. And, you know, or I need to become a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> or I need, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Plenty of content. But so I, I think I just really started looking internally. And one of the first things my mom had me do, she had me make a list of all these different people that I needed to talk to. Cause I was in the midst of like, okay, well, I need to change, but you know, you have to break through that, you know, like, you know, you need to change, but you have to do it. And so my first reaction was, well, I need to go back. It may be broken, but this is my life and I'm comfortable there. I don't need to change. And my mom said, you need to talk to all these people. And so I called them all. And one of them was my professor from college that I was very close with. And I still keep in touch with him all the time. And I, my mom was like, you need to talk to these people and see what they think. You need to get all these outside perspectives. And he had a pretty brutally harsh like reality check for me. And he said something along the lines of, well, when you were in college, you were full of so much excitement and sparkle. And you have lost that. You have lost the things that are special about you. And you need to get them back. And hearing that from someone who I respected so much and knew me very well was heartbreaking. And it was just from that moment, my new motto was like, all right, sparkle, whatever sparkles, I have to have it because I need my sparkle back. And so now that's kind of become like my thing where I like if you look at my I, I converted my car recently and I've been going on a lot of trips and I have sparkles just all over the place. Like I love disco balls and like there's a disco ball right above me. I don't know if you can see that. I, there's I, one right see, there. I see that. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I'm like, pretty sweet. Disco ball party. Yeah. Yeah. And so just anything fun and sparkly and happy. And I, that's why I really just tried to, to lean into the discomfort and lean into the negative emotions because I've learned through all of this like self-reflection that, the negative emotions are trying to tell you something really important. I mean, they're trying to tell you something's wrong. And if you ignore them and you just try to slip, like slap a happy Band-Aid over it, it's going to be this empty happiness. And so I've been trying to just do that really tough work where I just dig in there and I'm like, all right, how did this happen? Well, maybe you had some different thoughts about how your life was supposed to be and we need to reassess those. And so from that, I knew that I wanted to travel and I wanted to run a business. And I had so many limiting beliefs in my mind that you cannot do a business. You cannot run a business. Who are you to run a business? And I, that's when I started it. I had already been doing, been doing podcast production as a side hustle. And so I took that on. I took on a couple more clients. And within a few months, I was running a daily podcast for a WordPress company and I was learning about WordPress development every day and I was writing about it. I'm like, I'm writing about these things that I have no experience in and I'm writing up what they're saying. And it just blew my mind. Like, this is my life now. 
that I'm like getting to listen to podcasts and I'm getting to produce and I'm getting paid for it. And then I added my Pinterest consulting services. And I mean, if you fast forward like a year and a half later, I'm sitting here producing podcasts, running my own podcast and running Pinterest accounts for national brands and blogging on websites. And it's just blowing my mind that I think one of the biggest things I had to overcome was those those limiting beliefs of who am I to do this? I mean, I've never run a business like this before, so I had to work past that. And this year has been such a year of growing my confidence and growing my business skills. And I see huge differences in the way that I look at my business today versus how I looked at it last year. And it's all about my confidence in what I'm doing. I'm doing the same things. I'm just more confident about it. Yeah, you've got your sparkle back. I got my sparkle back, and it and it could always be more sparkly. That's true. That's true. There could always be three <laughs> disco balls instead of just one. I mean, Wait, you don't I, want to be like overwhelming. But. Right, right. So, so, and and you're doing this as someone who is remote, and you ha- like you said, you converted your car. So you were, you did do a road trip, right? You were living out of your car for how long? So before I get to that, I guess, what would you call yourself? Like, would you call yourself? nomadic would you not say you're nomadic because it's always hard for me to say too yeah you know what hard yeah what what would you consider yourself when people are like all right where do you live you know that kind of stuff do you say i live in texas but i'm i'm in my van a lot or i'm in my car a lot or you say now nomadic well i so i say digital nomad and i mean that was my my big thing that when i first went on like wanted to start living on the road, I wanted to do RV life. I mean, I, it was what I knew. And that's what I first gravitated towards when I was working. I thought, wow, I could live in an RV again. And this time I could actually like enjoy it because it would be my by choice. And I would understand how great it was, you know, so I could, I could redeem my childhood, you know, and go back and like enjoy all the things. Not that I didn't enjoy it before. I did. I just didn't, I didn't understand the opportunity that I had. You know, you didn't, I didn't have to pay for anything back then. Now I'm much and, more grateful. And, it also wasn't your choice, right? Like even though, even though you, like you said, you and it was a different type of lifestyle, and there and there's things you were thankful for. It wasn't your choice to be to live on the road. Now it would yeah. be. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought about that, and I tried to get my boyfriend at the time on board, and he was just not about it. He was more like, I want to grow my business. And that's where a lot of my disconnect was coming from is that I wanted to live this lifestyle. I want, I didn't want to be this person that was just working the corporate ladder. And he was open to it someday, but not right now. And I was like, I want this now. I can't live this life. Like I want to be a different person. I don't feel like this person is me. And so after everything fell apart, I immediately started traveling as much as possible because I was living with my parents. And so I based myself out of their house. And that's where I kind of struggle with like, okay, am I location independent? Because when I when I come home, I just kind of feel like a boomerang generation. You know, I'm just like living in my old bedroom. But I was calculating it last night and I have been to 31 states this year. Like that's pretty awesome. That's a, that's lot. a lot. That's what a road lot. trip. Yeah. I that's... Mean, I, I, I've lived in a car in one form or another, for four months this year. Yeah, you've got some cred. You've got some <laughs> cred at that point. So regardless of what name we give it, and, and like you said, you're, you're, you're figuring it out, you are at heart saying, I'm a traveler. And if that means that I have to sacrifice other stuff, 
and and means I have to come back. And when I'm when I need a place to be, I'm with my parents, and it's great that they're allowing me to do this. Which is kind of funny because now they have a home, and you're in a home with them. And when you're not with them, you're out on the road, which is completely flip flop from what it was so before. Funny, and it, it's kind of my fault that they have a house, which is kind of funny because they were living in the RV after I graduated. Like they dropped me off at college, and they're like, "See ya, we're gonna keep traveling." I'm like that's cool. I have tests now. No, so they kept traveling and I was in college and I was having a lot of trouble finding a roommate that I, you know, I, there were a lot of social skills I did not learn as a road school kid. <laughs> and when I got into college, I was very naive with people. I easily got taken advantage of with bad roommate situations. And so I was just, I was in a bind and I'm like, I'm having a horrible time with these roommates. They're trying to have me kicked out of my room because I have more square footage than them. Like these people are crazy. And so my parents decided that they would come back and they would buy a house, which is this house. And we would put all of our stuff in it from storage, you know, eight years earlier. And so, and then they were going to keep traveling and I was going to watch the house. And then my dad ended up taking a different job and he was out in California every week. And all of a sudden we're living the same life where he's gone and my mom's here and we're at the house and then we have a roommate. And so it's like me and my roommate, my mom (laughs) and dad's traveling again. And then, so he stopped doing that job and they've pretty much been here ever since. And we still go out on a lot of family RV trips. We still have two RVs and like we have an RV park in our backyard. Like we have a truck camper, we have a van, we have my car, which is a camper and their minivan, which we've also camped out of. And they have their fifth wheel in storage. I'm like, you guys just need to consolidate all of them, get like a little class B, class C motorhome, then you can just sell the house and keep going. But then I have to figure out where am I going to live? Yeah. So like, I guess I was thinking there'd be super minimal because of all those years on the road. And instead it's like, no, we just like RVs. So we're going to have a lot of them. I know it's really it's really interesting because I I mean this year I've been really trying to push my comfort zones and like being in the car. I mean, I'm a pretty paranoid person when it comes to traveling. And I think this year I've had to really learn like the world is a lot more friendly than you think, you know, just be safe. But I I was thinking, okay, well, you know, being in a car is new for me, but not really, because in my childhood we were stationary, but my mom and I would go off on road trips while my dad was working. So he would be living in the RV stationary, working his corporate job, and my mom and I would get in our like her big green van and like road trip for four months over to Yellowstone and like all across the country and back, and dad would just fly out to meet us on the weekends. Interesting. So technically, it, I am just going back to my roots. Right. When I think about it. It's so fascinating. Like it, it's, it's not, I've never heard of that lifestyle before because I've heard of people growing up, um, you know, homeschooling, of course. And usually it's like, Hey, they, they just, they're homeschooled for a variety of reasons, but they live in a certain area. And then I've certainly heard of people, you know, whose family traveled all over the place and they're homeschooling because they're bopping around a ton, but I've never heard of this like hybrid in between, all right, we are stationary for the most part, but then we do move every whatever, six months or so. And like sometimes we're together as a family, sometimes he's fine out, but we're also on the road at times. So it's it's essentially just seems, hey, we're homeschooling because we want to make sure that when the urge hits, whatever that mm-hmm. urge be, yeah. we can take advantage of it. Yeah, and just having that flexibility. So I think that one of the things that I got from that was I sometimes I don't like to commit 
to like setting dates on things. Like if it's like a conference or something that I have to look forward to, like I like to fill out my schedule so I have travel plans. But say like even when it comes to booking shows, I could book so many shows, but shows can get canceled. Like I have a lot of really great shows that are outside. They can get canceled. I don't want to book it because if it falls through, then I could have gone somewhere. So you got like ultimate FOMO there. A little bit, yeah. I'm like, oh, I could have gone out of town. But instead I stay here and then it rained and I couldn't play and then I didn't go anywhere. So that's where I like I, I kind of have to fight with that where I'm like, is it because I don't want to commit to this or is it, you know, because I want to do something else? Right. So would yeah. you then consider road schooling your own kids? Like when it's all said and done and you look at, at how it went and mm-hmm. what your life looks like now, would you would you consider it? Would you be a big proponent of it? Like maybe it's like, yeah, I consider if it works or no, like this was actually really awesome. I'm going to not push it on my kids, but I'm, I'm actually probably going to do it. Or would you say, eh, I don't know. Maybe there, there were some things that I didn't love and, and it might not work as well as I would hope. Uh, I have thought about that. And I think that's a really interesting question. I think that with my perspective of teaching myself, and knowing what I wish we would have done differently, I think I would be able to do it really well. But I think it would just depend on where you're at. Because if you're not traveling a lot, and you're just homeschooling, then you know, there's a lot of things that you need to be doing. You know, if if you're going to be homeschooling or road schooling, I feel like you almost have like an obligation to make your education super awesome, because you have the opportunity. And Going to different field trips and stuff that you just can't do in normal school, in public school, I feel like you have this obligation and this right to do this. And I mean, when we first hit the road, I was not super on board with the homeschooling yet, but because we were so available, my dad had the opportunity to work in France. And so the first thing we did after we like sold our house, we moved into a hotel. Before we even moved into the RV, we went to Europe for five weeks. And I just took my history book. And I just studied the chapter on France. I'm like, okay, cool, Versailles, let's go to Versailles, you know? So I had this really, really culturally rich experience right off the bat. And I mean, it, it forced me to change a lot. I was super picky and I did not even start eating hamburgers until we went to France because I couldn't find anything else that I wanted to eat. So I started eating beef. <laughs> so you had so, to go to France to learn that you wanted to eat a hamburger. Yeah, pretty much. That's and and then you know it built my skills from there. A few years later, we went to Peru, and I ate guinea pig, and you know they're just like you really start just changing a lot when you're exposed to different experiences. So you think all told, you're, you're saying like, hey, I I had an experience. I I know what was good, what was bad about road schooling, and you would probably give it a shot. It, it, you know, given the situation, assuming that you had the ability to do it and it wasn't going to throw anything else into crazy flux or yeah. it seemed like the the kid your kid wanted to do it, you'd say, "Hey, yeah. this is something that I would I would at least consider doing." Yeah, and I I mean, I think that I mean, public school is great. My nieces are in public school and they're super involved in their church activities and their extracurricular activities and they are involved in so much stuff and that's great and I mean, when your kid is a kid, they don't have a choice. They don't know any better. So it's, I mean, it's a lot of power as a parent 
to make that decision for your child because it will shape them forever. I mean, if I had gone to normal school, I don't know if I would be the person I am today, but I really like who I turned out to be. And I, I like to think that I would have gotten here either way, but I don't know. You wouldn't be able to call yourself the weird road schooled kid on a podcast, though. You just have to be That's like true. the weird kid who went to high school and likes <laughs> music and uh, has a $100,000 smile, right? Or whatever. Um, you'd have to have these other caveats to it. I would get some of those things. Yeah, there you true. go. Um, what's the biggest travel mishap that you've had come up, whether it be when you're younger and road schooling, whether it be when you've been out on your own? Uh, I do have a recent one. Perfect. So... Um, I, I did just finish up with like a six week road trip in my car and, um, I love my car so much. He's like my biggest pal. We go on road trip adventures together and I, I really attached him also because I was not a confident driver until more recently. I never had to drive when I was growing up. Cause I was like, I don't know where we are. You know, I was really, really good at getting out of it. And so I didn't really learn to drive until I got pretty much out of college like, I knew how to drive, but I didn't have to drive a lot. I avoided it at all costs. And so this road trip was going to be a big deal for me. I was caravanning with my friend, and she had a she has a trailer. And we were going to caravan from Texas to Colorado. And we were coming to the – I was going to go to the location, Indy, Denver meetup. And I, I committed to that, and I didn't know how I was going to get there. I was like, I'll figure it out. I'll drive or I'll fly, but I'll figure it out. And then I planned this entire six-week road trip around it. And so I converted my car and I was, this was going to be the longest I'd ever driven. Like the first day was the longest I'd ever driven by myself in my car. I think it was five and a half hours and we we're going to make it all the way up to Colorado. And I made it all the way up there with my friend Charlie and it was awesome. And we had a great time. I mean, we went like sand sledding and great sand dunes. We like hiked into a volcano. Like we did all these awesome things and I drove, you know all that way. Sometimes she was in my car and I drove, I drove into the volcano. That was a scary drive. I did that. We get into Denver. We're staying at this beautiful state park. And the first day we're in town, it's like day five of our trip. I I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some work. So I'm going to go find a local coffee shop and find like a cute little place. It's going to be great. And I pull into this parking lot and it's a little tight. And I'm, there's a lot of towing signs. So, you know, I'm a little confused about where I'm supposed to park. And so I park in one spot and then it says towing and I see there's one on the other side by the actual coffee shop. So I'm like, okay, I'll just move. And I'm looking behind me, don't see anything. I know there's like a food truck, it's really tight and there's like a pole somewhere back there, but I don't see anything. And I back up really slowly, looking behind me, I don't see anything. And then I'm also looking forward because it's a one-way entrance. So I'm just, I'm, I'm looking all over. I'm being a very cautious driver and I'm backing up and I'm backing up. I'm looking behind me and all of a sudden, bam, hit the pole. And I'm just thinking, what the heck was that? Oh my gosh, please tell me I did not hit that food truck. Please tell me I did not hit that food truck. Please tell me a car did not come up behind me and I hit a car and I didn't know, I couldn't see anything. I didn't know what I hit. I pull into this parking spot and I get out of my car and I look at the back of my car thinking I hit the tire that's on the back. I don't see anything. And I'm thinking, okay, well, good. And then I'm like going back to the front of my car and I look over and all of my taillights are bashed out on the left-hand side. And I am just horrified. This is day five of a six-week road trip and I have just completely damaged my car. And so I go over and I pick up all the pieces. I investigate this 
stupid pole is in the middle of a parking lot. <laughs> Pick up all the pieces. This pole has been hit multiple times before. Uh, yeah, no right. Science. <laughs> pole, this pole is just sitting there just like mocking me. And I come over and I call my parents. Like, I just, I just bashed in all my taillights. And they're like, well, I mean, it's, we're not there. So you're going to have to fix it yourself and figure it out. So I'm calling the Honda dealer. Go to the Honda dealer. They won't fix it because they're like, you might have damaged the body. You have to go to a body shop, but you can order the part. So I order the part to fix the light. And on my car, it's a Honda CRV. All the taillights are together. So it's one big piece. And I bashed out like half of it. This was this giant piece I have to replace. So I order a $250 replacement for my car. And I go to the body shop and they're like, well, it's going to be about three weeks before we can get you in. Like, I don't live here. I'm going to be gone in like a week. I need taillights. And they said, well, I mean, we could try to get you in, but it's going to be about $2,000. Like $2,000. Like, I don't have an emergency fund for that. And I'm just so like overwhelmed. But I'm like, I'll just figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know, like I got to do it somehow. It's still drivable. It's okay. It wasn't another car. So I'm going to figure this out. And they said, well, you know, the only thing you can do is just go to O'Reilly's and just tape it up. And so I go down to O'Reilly's. I've already been to the Honda dealer, to the body shop, to the Chick-fil-A where they, I, I cried over my French fries and they gave me an extra sweet tea. Very nice people there. And then I went to the O'Reilly's. And the nice people at O'Reilly's helped me buy tape and tape up my car. And then the part comes in and my dad has been like watching YouTube videos from afar. He sends me all the t these tutorials and I send him a bunch of pictures and he said, well, you know, what? I think you can fix it yourself. I'm like, dad, I, I need Like, I don't even know. Like, I know how to check my oil. That's like all that I know how to do. I don't want to replace a taillight. I've never done car maintenance. And so I watched some YouTube videos. I put on like, I put on my rainbow highlighter so I can have my sparkles so I can feel sparkly and confident. I put on my like colorful bandana and then I went to work on my car maintenance and I fixed that car. Nice. Nice. <laughs> awesome. And then you and you were good for the rest of the time. Like it's it still got tape on it a little bit, but it's nah. fine. Every time I pass by, I give them a little love tap. Right. Right. And and you know I what's cool it. about that is like obviously it's a, it's a when something like that happens, you're pissed because you're like, well, this was dumb. I could, you know, I should have missed it. You know, you feel bad about yourself and, and like stupid because you did something that was avoidable in, in some way. But I like that you came out on the other side and you're like, now I feel good about it. Like instead of, and, and that's kind of been the whole message, I guess the podcast, right? Instead of feeling negative about this, you sat there and you're like, all right, well now that put me in a situation where I learned something I wasn't able to do again. Now I look at that and I think, hey, this is a victory because I did something yeah. that I, I literally had no idea I would ever be able to accomplish. And I did it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I, I did a whole like Insta story about it. It was the first time I've ever really been on video. And, and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to turn this into a positively delighted thing. So the first thing you need to do, you know, it's not the car maintenance. First thing you need to do is apologize to your car because you bashed it into a pole. And you, like my car is my buddy. So I'm sitting there. His name is Edward. And I'm sitting there on video and I'm like, Edward, I'm so sorry that I bashed you into a pole. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make this right to you. And I got all kinds of comments like he still looks pissed, you know, like I just and it was just a funny thing, you know, to and it was a good victory. It, it definitely was. And I was much more cautious the rest of the time. But I mean, I, I was really proud of myself because right after that, I, I had committed to commuting into downtown Denver for the conference for four days. 
and I had just had a car accident <laughs> and I, I still did it. And that was really terrifying, but I did it and it was fine. Yeah. And I didn't even know. And you were super positive the whole time. And I think that speaks to your personality then. Like, I had no idea you got in a car accident the day or a few days before. And then you're at the conference and you're singing songs for us. And all was good. So awesome. Awesome. What do you have coming up in the pipeline that people should be aware of? Oh my gosh, so much stuff. So I am really honing in on the laughter yoga right now. So I'm going to be creating all kinds of resources, especially kind of that whole perspective of looking at negative things and turning them into positive. So I think laughter yoga is going to be a great way to do that. So I'm going to create videos for like laughing when you don't feel like laughing, laughing when you have a bad day, laughing when you're having financial problems. So laughter for financial abundance and all these different videos are going to be on my website. And then as far as like the road schooling, I get that question all the time. So I have actually a product on my website specifically specifically for road schooling. So it's a road schooling bundle where you get like this book with FAQs about how I didn't turn out socially awkward and how I did dating and friendships on the road and what my friends and family would say and how I kind of overcame everything and my favorite resources for taking control of your education and also taking control of your happiness and self-confidence. And then also you get to kind of hear about like through 14 year old Kelsey's perspective, because you get to learn about some of the songs and you get my first album from my EP from when I was 17. And then my most recent album, music and lyrics which just released and has free and broken and all those songs on it. And so you get to kind of hear all that perspective together. So I have that on my website in addition to all kinds of like affirmation cards and other fun positivity things. So I'm just going to be building those resources out and promoting my music wherever I can. Cause it's, got a message behind it and i think the messages are really important yeah and i was just rocking out to it before this podcast i threw it on in the morning i'm like i am good <laughs> to go i woke up a little sick sore throat threw on the music i'm like dude i love travel junkie of course yes. i like that. that's my favorite song though um, i love that song. It's a good well song. thank you so much for joining me today for radiating positivity all over the world through your music your podcast your website now laughter yoga all that good stuff <laughs> what's the best place for everything that we just mentioned What's the best place for people to go to find that and how should they connect with you? So the best place is PositivelyDelighted.com. That is where all of my podcast episodes for the Positively Delighted show and you're going to find all my resources that I'm going to be building out and then also my Instagram. I post funny things whenever possible and I try to keep it keep it entertaining. Sometimes there's mermaid photos. Sometimes there's laughter videos. And it's, sometimes there's car accidents. You know, <laughs> there you go. all kinds of things. Running the gamut, running the gamut. Guys, we will link everything that we talked about up in the show notes as well. You can get those extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. And thanks again, Kelsey, for coming on. Super appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you-